What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, welcome everyone to a Baseball America podcast. Along with J.J. Cooper, I'm John Manuel. Coming to you from my office this week. There's no more podcast nook. I, just, I, I thought yeah. we... Yeah. There's, a, there's a new multimedia room we're preparing here at Baseball America. But the podcast nook, fabled in song and podcasts for the last seven years here at BA, has been converted to a closet, which is its proper condition, really. Yeah, it's, it's a storage closet. Pod, podcast nook was just a clever way to say we were in a closet. But um, <laughs> there is no more podcast nook and... Exactly, and that's uh, so. So we hope that that. Uh, and I've moved offices, so this is easier now. A lot of things have uh, we're shifting some bodies around at Baseball America, so um, that part is fun. Uh, it's, it's prospect season. The minor league season's just about over. They're in playoffs. I'm hoping that I get to at least one more minor league game this year, but that really depends on the success of the Winston Salem Dash. Is that and our only maybe local? the Hickory Crawdads. I that mean, that's a stretch. Those are our local, our that's North our Carolina league. teams, eh? Yeah, that's what's left. I know I've got at least one game left because I'll be at the Triple A Championship game in El Paso with uh, George Grand and Bobby Valentine. Uh, that'll be exciting. I haven't worked with those gentlemen before, so that'll be fun. I'm not even could not even tell you who the finalists are. Well, we're not there yet. We're a long way away. Who the playoff teams are, I couldn't tell you. Well, I I can, but I know El Paso Paso lost to someone yesterday. Uh, Fresno uh, got a win. Indianapolis had a big night. uh, All right. Big night from uh, Josh Bell. JJ wrote our uh, playoff capsules that are on every day at BaseballAmerica.com. So, um, there's a long way to go there, though. There is... It's way too far to... You can handicap who will be there for the... uh, That that game is on September 22nd. The, the best way to put it is is that there will be some new blood, though, because it's really been like... No more Omaha. Omaha. Omaha feels like is always there, and feels like that on the on the IL side, it feels like in recent years, Pawtucket or Durham is a... Uh, Correct, and Durham last place this year, although over 500. Pawtucket obviously graduated two-thirds of, a te- of its team, it feels <laughs> like, to Boston. So um, we do have September call-ups to talk about. We'll talk about the Major League pennant races We'll talk about our minor league all-star team. And we have an coming up a little later. I'll let you intro. Yeah, we have Jordan Luplo of the uh, Pirates organization, former Fresno State outfielder. moved Playing to the playoffs with West Virginia. That's right. Power, not Black Bears. I agree with my colleague Teddy Cahill, who conducted the interview, um, that minor league baseball needs to step in and make one of those teams change. One name, one somebody like, You can't have two West Virginias. It's, it's even worse. I mean, this is... We've, One of dealt, should... we've, we've dealt with this before That's right. with the West Virginia power. But you know what? If you're both in Charleston, I understand where it's – it was annoying. But when it was 
Charleston parentheses SC Charlie and West? Charleston parentheses W dot VA. Charlie okay. You're both Charleston. I understand you're representing your city. You can't help it. You got the same name. West Virginia is a state. Yeah, one of you needs to claim, you know, something. In the, in the spirit of uh, PBS replaying the Civil War documentary, one of them can be Kanawa, and one of them can be... Although, I think I may have pronounced although, it wrong. I was going to say, although their, their argument very much will be, oh yeah, how's that working out in New York where you have the Mets and the Yankees and neither of them are... This is true. Um, and the Angels decided yeah. to change and their name to Los Angeles. No, 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 no. Remember that technically they are the Los Angeles. They're the Angels of Anaheim. Yeah, yeah the, the... Which has, as Anaheim said at the time would never be used again by anyone in any situation. And it's been completely true. Pretty much. Um, but yeah, Jordan... Lu- Anaheim, California, and Los Angeles. Jordan Lupo of the West Virginia Black Bears... No, he's the West Virginia Power, Power. of Charleston. Um, will join us later in the podcast uh, with uh, with Teddy Cahill interviewing him. And he's uh, a player who shifted from outfield to third base. Outfield as a college player, moving to the infield. A lot of discussion of that and a team that's in the South Atlantic League playoffs. Um, JJ, the one thing that stood out to us that we wanted to lead off with was a lot of sound and fury today as we record this on the interwebs and Twitter about Yuena Cespedes and his National League MVP case. Fairly not, I mean, it's a, it's a fun discussion, but it's not really an MVP case. Um, but the reason we're having that discussion is there's nothing left to talk about in the National League. I guess you can debate Cy Young Award, which that deserves some debate. We're both uh, BBWAA members for the first time this year. We're both National League Rookie of the Year members, so we're not going to talk about that because we both have to vote. We don't want to prejudice each other on our votes. Uh, but the pennant race is basically over in the National League we know thanks to the Mets. Like- and I guess thanks to the Nationals bullpen and Matt Williams. Yeah, I, that was a series that you, you could not – really, you couldn't overhype. That was an important September series. It was a fascinating series that we just wrapped up. And it was one that could not have in any way gone more poorly for the Nationals. It's one thing to lose, to get swept in a series that you desperately need to win. It's an entirely different thing when you get swept in a series and there were multiple games where you go, well, we should have won that game. Especially, J.J., when the Mets seemed to be the team coming in in some disarray. Lead had shrunk to four games. And Matt Harvey hoo-ha over the weekend in Labor Day with uh, him and Agent Scott Boris, the Mets, seemingly not on the same page. Well, not seemingly. They weren't on the same page. And that should have been then, a distraction, And then you, you go think. literally a couple of innings into the you know the, the kickoff of the series. He's getting hammered. He's getting hammered, and you go, wow, the Nationals, they could be cutting this to, and, you know, to lead to three, this could be very interesting. I mean, this could have been where we'd be talking about this right now and go, wow, this NL East race is really heating up. And instead, we're sitting here going, I, the, I guess I'll pose it to you this way. Assuming that we do not have the epic collapse of the Mets over the next three and a half weeks. Right. And assuming that, because at this point, if the Nationals do win this, Matt Williams should be getting manager of the year votes because <laughs> for that comeback from this. Right. But assuming that doesn't happen, is there a more disappointing non-playoff team than the Nationals would be if they don't make the playoffs this year. Oh, I can't imagine there would be. No. I mean, it's, a, it's an odd-numbered year, so the Giants aren't really a disappointment. Um, and again, if you've won three in the last... You, right. You, you, you can write out these, you know, we didn't make it this year, it's okay. I mean, I'd say that... Yeah, I, I will say, I think a lot of people... I wasn't alone in this. A lot of people picked the Indians to be good this year, and a lot of people picked the Mariners to be good. 
I don't know of anyone who thought the the Nationals would not make the playoffs. Especially and they looked they, like they had great starting pitching from last year. Everybody back added Scherzer. I understand. I saw them in spring training, and I saw a lot of the big league guys in minor league camp. And I was in minor league camp because of all the injuries, whether it was Desmond or Jason Wirth or whoever. But despite all that, um, it does, nothing. something's off with that club. And the biggest thing that's off is the starting pitching's not as good as it was last year collectively and almost almost down the line every individual pitcher and the bullpen has been mishandled and has not performed it's really collectively uh with all the injuries offensively they've made up for some of those it, it's been the pitching well what's fascinating to me is is that one of the reasons the nationals were such a favorite coming into the year was because everyone expected that the nl east would be so bad and they were right and ev- and the nl east has been every bit as bad yes the mets have been better partly helped because they play in the nl east but the braves have been everyone expected the braves to be bad this year the braves with this second half absolute beyond destruction class. of collapse yeah. i mean this is again they are playing at a 62 mets level in the second half of the season. Yeah, you had that in SBA the other day. What were their record over a full course of the year would be, would be 39 and 122? Right. If you played out when from when they were... Now, again, this is cherry-picking numbers because they were 42 and 42. When I when you, If you start from that point, when they were a 500 team, yeah. effectively just over halfway through the season. It's been horrible. And since then, they have won at a rate that would be the second worst... If they did it for a full season, it would be the second worst winning percentage in... 20th and 21st century history, and that's basically saying they would have played worse than the 62 Mets. Worse than the the 2003 Tigers, the modern version of the Mets. The Marlins are no better than, you know. There's six 80-loss teams in Major League Baseball right now, J.J., and half of them reside in the National League East. And with that, you you have to say. And that's with the Phillies playing well in the second half. But still battling for the number one pick in the draft. Oh, they still have it. As of right <laughs> now, they have it. And it'll be very interesting to watch if the Phillies they, do have that pick. The, the Phillies did very well in that battle this past week by trying to prop up the, uh, you know, the the the, uh, the Braves, you know, maybe sinking, but the Phillies did what they could to try to help uh, bail them out a little bit. There. Well, they, no, they, they lost. They won the first two games. Right. Know, the Bra- right, but the, but the Braves came back and I probably didn't want to win that last game. <laughs> Really, that, that, that's going to be fascinating to watch uh, how that finishes. The Phillies were 29-62 and 62 at one point, J.J. 29-62. and 62. Um, They're 54-86 and 86 overall but as we record. The, the funny thing about it is, is that, okay, I'll, I'll pose to you, because that job obviously, the expected job coming open has come open. Right. Uh, I'll pose to you the question of Phillies and Braves right now, which one turns it around quicker? Oh, I think it will be the Braves. I mean, they're they're further ahead in their rebuild. I agree with your SBA that there's a lot of risk in that farm system, and I wouldn't necessarily give it a top five ranking in terms of its organizational talent. But the the Phillies, to me, in the full season levels, there's not a lot of pitching hope there, and the Braves have a lot more, I think, full season arms that they have volume, and some of those volume. guys could work out. And if one of the Mike Fultonevich, Manny Banuelos, with these group of AAA kind of four A guys who've been I shuttling, now. right? Those guys have been shuttling between the big leagues and Matt AAA Whistler. all year. Some of those guys are that I like that group a lot better than the Alec Asher, Jared Eikhoff, Adam Morgan, even with Aaron Nola group. 
I like. I mean, the, Aaron Nola is basically like, will he be better than Jose Tehran? I don't think so. And Tehran has more Julio, experience. Yeah. Julio Tehran, I'm sorry. Um, so yeah, I, I like I like where the Braves are positioned better than Philadelphia. I think Philadelphia has higher upside because of the, their financial uh, wherewithal, all those kind of things. But the Braves are a lot further along, I think, in their rebuild. Where I was going to go is where the Phillies maybe have a chance to kind of catch them in that rebuilding yeah. process is the fact that you look at what the Phillies could do in a year or two more than the Braves can is that idea of being able to say, okay, we'll take on your trouble to be able to also take on something really good in a way that the Braves will probably never be able to do I uh, under their current ownership. I, I think that I, I get, I, I see that point, but the Braves did just do it a couple times this year with finding, right. you know, they, they, they're, they're, they're very creative. It, right. They're, no, they're, they're extremely creative. And again, if you said right now, knowing that what the Braves leadership is and not knowing what the Phillies is, that's obviously a big, but a the big Phillies plus for the Braves. The Braves are further ahead. The Phillies could certainly close that gap, but I think the other, the other X and the Marlins are, are a long ways away from that. Still gaining acceptance. Yeah, I just don't know what to make of that well, franchise. Let's flip that though before we move on to the minor leagues. That the other to me the most fascinating thing all year has been the NL Central, which has become even more fascinating because as great as the Cardinals have been all year, the Cardinals, if we said is there any drama, and I mean any drama, in the National League right now, the closest thing we have to drama is is that the Cardinals have not put an absolute lockdown on winning the Central. Yeah, they're four and a half up on, on the Pirates. Just uh, very fortunate, I thought, that they're going to get struck by the Cubs. And the Cubs looked at, the Cubs come out of that series worried about their bullpen, but otherwise they have to feel very good that in a September series against the Cardinals... Without Kyle Schwarber, for the most Schwarber. part. And, and when he came back... He, and obviously rough, without a rough first day back. And obviously without Jorge Soler either. We're not even talking about that. I know Soler hasn't had a great rookie year... But in a pretty left-handed lineup, I mean, obviously they have Bryant, but the other big power bats in that lineup, Schorber, Rizzo, big lefty bats, you need Solaire. If Without him, they, they've missed him. If the Cubs do make it to the World Series, which there's a giant, giant if there, but if they did this year, they are one National League team for whom going to the AL and saying, by the way, you got to have a DH – Please. They're like, thank you, exactly. thank you. We feel so much better now. We couldn't figure out how to get all these guys on the field, and now you've solved our problem. Kyle Schwarber, you take a bat, and you are going to just just go rake today. You know, we're not going to really worry about where you're going to play defensively. Yeah, they they're perfectly suited for it. They have to pitch their way into it. The bullpen I... is the bullpen's the concern with them, and, and again, I, I do think it's easy to overlook just how good the Cardinals have been this year. Because the thing with the Cardinals is is that. They pitch at a level. It's just guy after guy after guy. They do. Do you think they're going to regress? I feel like they they're bound for some regression. I don't feel. I'm not knocking them, but I just look at that team. I don't see that as an 88 and 51 roster. I just don't. I mean, it's a it it's miraculous. Like it. It's miraculous in some ways that they are there. But, but they also are when everyone's healthy now, and we don't know if everyone's going to be healthy. You know, but if everyone's healthy. They also are a team that has almost a little bit of excess of, okay, how do we fit everyone in the lineup? Now, they're not all healthy right now. We've got a guy who played center field yesterday in Randall Gritchick who, you know, is underhanding the ball to, right. uh, to Jason Hayward. But You love Randall Gritchick. I mean, I, you I love that guy. I do. I do. And I have. I have. I you mean, have for a long time. I, I was going to say, I, I feel vindicated this year by this is an excellent, excellent rookie year that he's had when he's actually able to lift his arm and 
throw the ball towards home plate in a uh, you know overhand. Finish. I, I do want he has he has tools and he's had a great year for who he is. I do wonder how sustainable it is. He doesn't control the strikes. Though. No, he is he's, a slugger. I mean, but he's five to one strikeout to walk. He's 101 strikeouts and 300 and change plate appearances. No, it's I like him. I just I'm just surprised at how much you love him. That's right. It I, has always surprises me how much you love. Well, him. partly it's also I just love that draft class. That, yeah, you know, that, that yeah. is that just adds to the the Mike Trout draft class, which is the uh, Trout Richards. Well, Grichuk, Trout Richards, uh, Corbin, Skaggs. Skaggs was in that. Was Skaggs in that one? I guess he was. That's a good draft class. <laughs> That's a good draft class. But so, I mean, again, when you look at it right now, it's going to be a fascinating National League playoffs. Unfortunately, there's going to be a lot of uh, just kind of biding our time to get there. I mean, that's well, we the, can focus on the American League, where the rookie, the rookie, the wild cards are very much up in the air. Um, could have the Yankees in the wild card. Could have the Twins. Could have the uh, Angels. Could have the Rangers. The Twins is the one to me that. Massive credit to them. I never imagined that they would have staying power. I thought they I don't had, think anyone did. I, I thought that they, it was when they were at the midpoint of the year and they had that kind of slump, you really thought it was like, good job, guys. I mean, I, I, I'm very <laughs> impressed. You you stuck in this longer than I expected you to. You deserve a pat on the head. And also, a this gives you that positive momentum to be really feeling like, you know what? By 2016, we actually could be somewhere here. And instead, they somehow managed to rally. And I think that we, I think we all know this somehow. I think yeah, El Rey, I think El Rey is the big reason. Yo soy El Rey. <laughs> exactly. he, is, I mean, he is. I mean, the the king has been the king. I mean, Miguel Sano. He's been a little banged up lately, but man, he's had. He's slugging five ninety two, JJ. Five ninety two. So he makes playing Joe Mauer at first base acceptable. Yes. <laughs> yeah. He kind of covers up that kind of power. Covers up. Some ills. I do also love the fact that Kyle Gibson has kind of mm-hmm. been like their homegrown quasi-ace in some ways. Good for Kyle Gibson. And he's done that while many of their more heralded power arms have kind of ended up being guys who now are, are pitching out of the pen. If that oh, thing. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Trevor Alex May, Meyer, Alex Trevor May. Yeah, those two guys definitely jumped to mind. And every Twins fan's like, Jose Barrios, which I will just say. I was going to ask you about that. that I, I do think... I know that his stats this year were excellent, and I think Jose Barrios, everyone we talked to, likes Jose Barrios as a prospect. I think highly of Jose Barrios. That being said, Jose Barrios is not a guy that I would think of as coming up and having a late-season David Price or Matt Moore the year he came up. And right. He's not a guy who, if he had, they had brought him up, that he would necessarily have that kind of impact. And when we talk about the Matt Harvey thing and all, Jose Barrios is a guy who... You get to the end of the year. I, I don't not fault overly the, physical either. I don't fault the Twins if when they were plat, you know, plotting out Jose Barrios for the year that they didn't think of it from the standpoint of, well, we've got to figure out how come you know, September. <laughs> right. We need some more innings in that tank for September, October. Correct. You know, so I, I, I don't think that one is one where I'm really that up in arms over them not bringing him up. I, I think he's going to be fine long term, but... The guys that we talk to, I don't know, you know, I mean, you've done the Twins many times, but like them a lot, but think of them as a middle rotation starter. This is not a guy who's thought of as a future number one, number two. Right, yeah, I mean, and he's gotten better every year uh, in the minor leagues, but I've never encountered anyone uh, who, who thinks of Jose Barrios as your game one or two playoff starter. That's just not the Which role he's The crazy playing. thing is this, again, and I know it's easy to remember, forget now because he's gotten hurt and not been as effective this year, but... 
Matt Moore essentially showed up and was that guy. Yeah, from day one. So, yeah, I, I agree. Uh, I'm not expecting him to be that guy. That said, he has better stuff and has always had a knack for finishing hitters off. He has better stuff than Kyle Gibson. Mm-hmm. I don't know that he has and again, Kyle that, Gibson, I think that's that durability. Great, but, yeah. but Kyle Gibson is a great, like when Kyle Gibson was coming up, that was one of those things like, okay, put the brakes on a little bit. There's yeah. a lot of value in a 3-4. Right. I mean, and that's what he how is. How often have the Twins had anyone better than a three-four in the last five? Yeah, I mean, years? likening him basically, Kyle Gibson is very similar in terms of the grand scheme of things to a Scott Baker, you know, who was the last really, I would say, above-average homegrown starter the Twins had. They were good at developing average starters from Nick Blackburn to Kyle Slowey or Kevin Slowey to whomever. This, you know, Kyle Gibson, even I think a little bit better acquired, than that. Even the guys they acquired. I mean, we, Phil Hughes. Were, at one point there was obviously thought that Phil Hughes would be, but they knew when they got Phil Hughes, we're hoping he's a good three. Right. That's right. And look, um, to be honest, the Twins pitching has been bad enough in recent years that the idea of adding a solid three to their pitching staff is like, wow, that will save us a ton. That was a big improvement. <laughs> no doubt. He was a big improvement for them. So um, I enjoy watching the Twins being in it. I don't know that I think that they can make the playoffs. Uh, their pitching still seems like it's kind of up in arms. Uh, not, well, pun was bad, a bad pun that was not intended. Um, I am very curious to know, like, uh, I'm curious as to whether that, that Angels and Rangers, those are, there's a nice little rivalry there. You have the whole Josh Hamilton and subplot. You can't even say that the, I mean, we have to kind of bloop that in. Yeah, the, the Astros, Astros are not they have not right. run away with that where you say that they've absolutely locked up that division either, which makes it even more fascinating. Yeah, but, only two games up on the Rangers. Right. I feel like the Rangers deserve to be a playoff team. <laughs> they, I feel like Jeff they Bannister. Had so far. That's right. And they had so, they were so bad last year. I feel like Jeff Bannister is going to be has to be in your mix for uh, American League Manager of the Year. Um, I mean, they haven't had everything how this go right. Works, it's funny. He, he gets benefit from how bad they were, how bad right. they've been. Like you, you have to if you can fashion a narrative. He gets bonus points for like, wow, look where they've come from. But also, they've had injuries this year even. Oh, absolutely. They, mean, they, they, they're very unsettled. I think it's a very unsettled team that also just injuries, whatever. Adrian Beltre finally showing some age. Um, I, I hope it's not too – I hope it didn't happen too soon where um, it impedes his Hall of Fame progress. I, 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 would, I would hope not from the, just from the standpoint of no. I mean, he's been so – I agree. No, I, I agree. I think of him as – again, you go back to the Bill James thing. Who are the best third basemen in the last 10 to 15 years? Uh, to me, he's right in that discussion. JJ, we were actually discussing this earlier, and you weren't here. Um, I think I know where you're going to see. Aramis Ramirez. Here. Aramis Ramirez is why I figured you were going. He has become the, the fascinating player for me lately just because and see, I feel he's he's a compiler is what right. he is. I feel he's not. I don't think he is. I feel he is one of those. I think he's a lot closer than the average bear thinks he is. I feel like he is one of those guys who you say, man, he's not. But he's yeah exactly. He's not as far off as you may think. The knock with him, I, I think, it is a fair one. Is is he's always been really good. Right. When has he been though the guy that you say okay, uh, like compare him to a guy like Evan Longoria, who may not be end up being in the compiler that Aramis Ramirez was is. I would say I, I think it's fair that Longoria probably had a higher peak, but Aramis Ramirez was right in the middle of lineups for the Cubs every year. They were a good playoff team. Oh three. Mm-hmm. Uh, 08, that that era, he was right in the middle of all those lineups, and he was a very good player. From that stretch for the Cubs, uh, well, his Cubs stats, 
it's a 126 ops plus uh you know just as a cub um 385 career home runs that guy's had a heck of a career he's, he's a he's a good defensive third baseman He's on a great right, defensive that, that's third That's where, baseman. to me, like if you said, what's the differentiator? Adrian Beltre the, is one of the better defensive third basemen of all time. Oh, yeah. No, I'm not saying yeah, this guy no, is. No, I'm, I'm saying, but, yeah. but that's, to me, when you say the why, where does the bar go? Well, Beltre gets that benefit. Again, there have been guys, If when we talk about Brooks Robinson, I'm, you line up Brooks Robinson versus Adrian Beltre, I'm sorry, Orioles fans, please explain to me how Brooks Robinson's better in any way. I'm just telling you that our host at uh, Omaha House, Larry Goldstrom, is going to be very disappointed because I think both his kids, one of his kids' middle names is Brooks and the other one's Robinson. But so. you, you follow what I'm saying, though, do you not? Yeah, I mean, that said, Brooks Robinson is, he's not Bill Mazeroski. It's not like he couldn't hit. No, I'm, but that just, I'm not you saying. Know, his defense was at this other level, and, I feel and he like was a very Adrian capable Beltre. offensive player. And I feel like Adrian Beltre, maybe even if I'm, if you say that Brooks Robinson was a slightly better defender, I think he was a better defender. But I, I don't think he was a say, slightly better defender. I think he was a better defender. See, I think he was a. I think Adrian Belcher is that good defensively. But that's see the scouts I've talked to when they talk about the best defensive third base, they they go rolling over Belcher. I mean, I haven't ever asked it that pointedly, but the comp I always get is Roland, who had that size with the, the, the huge size is, with incredible agility. The funny thing is, is now like I mean, we so have, I think Scott Roland should be a Hall of Famer. And we, now we have the next level of guys, which is is that we're going to have the Nolan Arenado, Manny Machado. You know. If Machado says a third, he, he might be moving he to might, shortstop. Hey, I time. hope he does. I, yeah. I really do. It's like I want to see guys play the position that allows them to be at their best, and that's the position that allows Manny Machado to be at his best. Beltre has 408 home runs, which is, I mean, I think he's a Hall of Famer for me. But just, Especially I'm just surprised. He's going to continue to accumulate some more. That's because, what I wonder. He's 36. That's how this all started. It's a 263, 304, 407 year this year, and it's 510 plate appearances. I know he was banged up early, but it's not like he's not playing. Right, but hes I do think that he is still going to get a chance to have you know, a few more years. One more big year? Yeah. I, I hope so. I think so. there's at least one more bounce in him. Well, we'll go through some of these Twitter questions, then we'll talk a little bit more minor leagues. Kristen Johnson, longtime uh, listener and uh, tweeter, asks, who should be American League Rookie of the Year? JJ, I'm on uh, – I, I, I was going to ask you this last week. Who do you have among your future shortstops, Carlos Correa or Francisco Lindor? Those two guys, you know, they're the you know two favorites. I'm not thinking of a pitcher off the top of my head. American well, League I rookie think, pitcher. No, I think it's I think it's Lindor or Correa right now. I mean, you I would know, imagine Correa is going to win it. Right. You can you can throw if you want to throw Sano in there. I mean, I think that there's people who could you know could bring up Sano, but Ooh. I think it's I, I think it's Correa, and I think you I understand you can make a case for Lindor. My argument for Correa is. Throw it all together. Carlos Correa has been, since the day he arrived, uh, essentially the best player on the Houston Astros on a what should be a playoff team. Really, from literally the day he showed up. What started their stumbles really was when he got hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, he the does have he, he does have more home runs than than Sano by one among American League rookies. In I mean, I, I, it is crazy to think that we are talking about a shortstop who's gone out at. A very young age, in a non-full season, and he's gone at this point 273, 17 homers, 339, 500. He's slugging 500 in 2015 as a as basically the youngest guy in the league. He's a really good shortstop too. I mean, he's a good shortstop. Right. He is a better shortstop than I think every expectation 
of him when he was in high school, besides Carlos Correa's, because Carlos Correa had every expectation that he would be. Carlos Correa is driven to be the best at everything that he does. And uh, he's pretty good at, <laughs> at the baseball thing. I don't know about what else. Uh, speaking English, I know he's good at that. Um, he's, I mean, again, he's a team leader. There's not many guys who can become a team leader at that age, and he can do that. Because I get that. But, but that does bring up, though, Francisco Lindor yeah. has been... Francisco Lindor has been a better big league hitter than he ever was a minor league hitter. He has been. And, you know, you hear that from scouts sometimes where they say that guys are going to hit better the higher up they go and the pitchers are on the strike zone more often, that kind of thing. Uh, better called strike zone. Pitchers who are less all over the place. Maybe he's one of those players. I do remember, my, my favorite, like, which I just found funny at the time, was is that you heard these rumblings. I don't even know where they were coming from. But early in the season, it's like, the Indians are happy with Jose Ramirez, and maybe they would be looking to yeah. trade Francisco Lindor. I never remember. Yeah, that. I never remember hearing that Lindor would be a trade. I do remember them last off season. You know, it was the metrics, the defensive metrics, that showed that Jose Ramirez was so good defensively at shortstop that they would be more patient with Lindor. But ooh, that guy's just. Both those players are so much fun to watch. That's that, that, number that one. A, but, that, but they also they performed very very well. They're not just fun. As a practical matter. They're really, really good, and we could have used that. We needed that as a as a sport to see good young players at shortstop. Oh, and we, we are Addison right Russell now. throw him into the mix, obviously. Throw Addison Russell into the mix, for, and again, and Corey Seager, and Corey Seager, who's now up. Finally, thank you. You know, he's hey, he'll still be eligible. We we actually will get to hold on to one of these guys for next year's top hundred because Corey Seager is still going to be eligible. If I, were, if I were a betting man and I weren't working here, I would bet on Corey Seager being on the cover of the next prospect handbook. I haven't given that any thought, but, right, but now I a, just did. There's a pretty good <laughs> likelihood because he is, I, you know, Lucas Giolito is not a bad one. Alex Reyes is not a bad one. I could I could make a case for Alex Reyes on the prospect handbook cover. But, you could. You, you know. could. Yeah. I think I'll take my chances with the, uh, it's a Cardinal. There are a lot of Cardinal fans. You know. Sometimes you got to play to the, uh, for, for the sales of, on the on the newsstand. You, you sell more probably with a, with a Cardinal or a Dodger than you do with, just to throw out a team, a Blue Jay. Just uh, this is just reality. So we don't have any Blue Jays contending for the cover no. of, the, of the handbook this year, JJ. I, I like Anthony Alford a lot, but Anthony Alford's not yeah. going on the cover. Um, we do have a, t- a couple of Phillies-related questions. Um, I, I will. I'll skip that one for, since we're on the American League. JJ, what do you think of Jackie Bradley Jr.? It seems like he's finally putting <laughs> things together. I am interested I in that one. I'm interested in that one. I don't even think right now. Like, I don't think that the Red Sox. This has been a good problem to have. But it muddies the waters for them because I think at this point, if you're the Red Sox, you have to go forward saying, we're going to go into next year thinking that there's – he's not this. He's not what he's doing right now because what he's doing right now is uh, effectively – I mean, it's Maisian. <laughs> it's, you know, it's, he's slugging at a rate – He's slugging 600 right now. Right. I, 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 I am I, – you know what? If I was a betting man and did not work here – I would feel very comfortable taking a prop bet for next year. Will Jackie Bradley slug under 600? Yes! Exactly. I'll take odds on that one. But, you know, but if you said, look, he's hit at times in the past. I mean, right. this is a guy who, the, the old scouting adage is, is that there are guys who, when it all comes together, it clicks. Right. And Jackie Bradley is a guy who it's clicked for at lower levels in the past. Jackie Bradley was an excellent college player 
on very, absolutely, very good college teams he was in the, the SEC. He was the best player on the best teams in the country two years in a row. The teams that won that, national championships. You can't throw that out and say that's not that means nothing, and especially because this is the great thing for Jackie Bradley. This is something that is useful when you're thinking about guys who are in the minors. Jackie Bradley has skills that allows his bat to catch up to everything else. That's a great. That's a great because call. Jackie Bradley's defense is good enough that it meant you have to give him more chance. To take a lesser version of this, the, the Red Sox also have a question of, okay, Travis Shaw, what do we have here? Because Travis Shaw has been a better big league hitter than they thought. Than they thought. Right. But the difference being, Travis Shaw, if Travis Shaw has a rough month in the big leagues, it's tougher to kind of keep him going out there because right. you're, this is all you're getting out of him. Plus, Travis Shaw, basically, when he, if he goes out for early work defensively, it's like, oh, sorry, Hanley, get in your work at first base. I'll get my ground balls in when I can. Whereas, Whereas Bradley bets to Castillo, that seems to be this outfield that has clicked in Boston. The short answer, by the way, I do think Jackie Bradley's – I don't think 600 slugging sustainable. I do think he should be an average to above average offensive player, and he's a stud defensively. Right. Center, left, right. He's going to be an outstanding defender. And I would say center. I mean, again, all, all right. they have. But they have Mookie. I know. It's, That's the problem. That's the problem that's for him. That's the problem they have is, is that they have, they have well, and look, for a team that has been as bad as they've been this year, they have logjam problems coming up. And you also look at the fact that usually the Red Sox need basically two center fielders. Their best teams have an outstanding defender in right field. Um, and they could use that now, whether that was J.D. Drew in 2007, Shane Victorino in 2013. They they need to have, even Trot Nixon in his day, uh, You you it's a tough right field to play. Now, whether that'll be Castillo or Bradley going forward, right now it's been Ruzdi Castillo. That you know, I'm not sure how much defensive value you really get out of a great left fielder in Fenway Park. Right. Supposedly an easy, uh, easier to play. You know, right. Play the wall, but out of other right, But that, there's a lot less range that you have to cover. Correct. But Manny Ramirez and Jim Rice figured it out, so right. we you should be able to. Jack, it's almost too easy. But right. that is for Jackie. That Bradley. is that is tying one hand behind Jackie Bradley's back. Right. You're asking him to do that because that takes away. Because, again, what I'm saying, like, with Jackie Bradley, he's a guy that on the days he's not starting, he still has value on your roster because you go, okay, if we get a lead, this guy's coming in. Yeah, absolutely. So what you wonder about is, uh, you know, I, I do recall um, his name bandied about in trades. Obviously, the Padres are a team that needs a center fielder. There are a lot of teams that could use a center fielder. So at the very least, the Red Sox have reestablished some trade value with Jackie, who at the AAA All-Star game, I talked to him, and he's like, hey, look, I'm not a big video guy. But it sounds like he de- has finally adjusted to fastballs away. He had a hole on fastballs away, and he's figured out how to handle those fastballs, and that's been a big issue in his resurgence this year. I'll point you to Brian McPherson of the Providence uh, Journal. Uh, just did a story on that today um, that you can check out for more from a beat writer who covers it and is fully immersed in Jackie Bradley Jr. all day. But I, I do look at it, and I, I think we both agree, if you're the Red Sox, you go into next year, and he's penciled in. Oh, yeah, I would think so. But again, uh, but well, they unless, again, but you know what? If you get the right offer. Right. Because I do think that you what you look at it, you have to evaluate if you're the Red Sox. If I get the right offer, some of his value for us is lessened because we have guys who can do that. Correct. If we have, you don't give them away. Right. But if you have, doesn't do that. But if you have multiple guys who you say, even if we trade this guy away, we still have a center fielder. Right. Well, then, and they've got still a center fielder coming up down the road in Margot. They've got other guys. 
when you do that, you can trade away a guy if you get the right deal. And they just drafted a center fielder in the first round this year. Right. Whereas you Ben Attendee, who, you know, and it, who, by the way, is not going to be a, it's going to take him four years to get there or anything kind of guy. He, he almost tried to make it four months as right. well as he's hit the minor leagues. I mean, again, you look at how quickly, uh, the, the, the analogy you have to make, you look at how quickly Schwarber and Conforto came from the year before. Yes. What is there in Benintendi besides the fact that he was a draft eligible sophomore? And that he's half those players' size. Right, and half their. <laughs> you could literally, like, if you took Kyle Schwarber's pants, you could probably, you know, put Benintendi in a lane. I mean, really, Andrew Benintendi's almost closer to petite Randy Moss in size from the direct TV commercials than he is to those other players. I mean, um, he's really upset about those those uh, cereal up on the top shelf. But you look at him and you say, he's going to move quick. Okay. They have that where, you know, again, yeah, you say. Well, some of some of these guys are going to have to go. Right. You know, you every team out there, uh, and again, this is not to go on a too much of a tangent, but every team out there who's thinking ahead, when the Red Sox hired Dave Dombrowski, they probably called, they should have called some of their scouts. I know teams that did and said, we're making another loop through yeah. the Red Sox organization because we want to be very well-versed right. when this offseason rolls around because we all know Guys are going to get moved because they're not going into next year going, you know, the thing that has changed. And I don't even think it I will say Peter Gamm has made a good point about that in his recent column in the magazine. I don't know if did you get a chance to read it. Not yet. He basically talked about how Dombrowski, you know, really the biggest trade Dombrowski probably ever made was trading Randy Johnson. Mm-hmm. He's the guy who traded Randy Johnson for Mark Langston. But when you looked at it at the time, even the, uh, the Mariners had uh, Mark Langston, I mean, had uh, Randy Johnson line up as the second or third player they were getting in that trade. so um, He was the guy who it all had to click for. Right. And he was, I think he was already 26 at the time of the trade. I mean, it wasn't like he was a high school draft. He was a college draft. That, that trade was in 1989. He was on the 84 Trojans. Right. So he's probably four or five years out of college already. So this yeah. is, you know, but this is a guy who traded Randy Johnson as a hall, you know, future Hall of Famer. So he's made some trades right. where he wasn't afraid to give up prospects. But obviously he... Uh, I, I think he's made other smarter trades in his, but what in his I, career. But the point I'm making, though, is, is, and it wouldn't be just if Dave Dombrowski, but I do feel like that there is a little bit of a feeling in Boston, if you look at it, the overall, like, okay, well, how are we going to do things differently? One thing is is that they, I, I feel like, and maybe I'm wrong, but they're going to move a little bit more towards, they've been kind of looking at the long term. Right. And the long term in Boston is difficult because – the long term means that you put a guy like Jackie Bradley out there and he fails in the first time and he fails the second time and then the third time it clicks. Well, you don't have a whole lot of chances to do that in Boston. And so what I think is with a an extremely deep farm system, one that you could trade guys who you map it out and you say, okay, well, where's Van Wilmar go going to play for us? And you may say, he's not. Right. Not that he's not a very good prospect, but we've got two center fielders ahead of him. We've got one who really is, I mean, right on his heels behind him, we can trade that guy, be a valuable guy in a trade, and get us a big league piece who can help us now? Dude, you got to do some of those deals. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, as long as Dabrowski, they've made some rough deals the last few years. There's a reason. They finished third at uh, last place three of the last four years for a reason. Um, Last of these Twitter questions, Spencer Bingle asks, uh, Phillies have had a few interesting bats emerge. How do we evaluate Reese Hoskins and Andrew Knapp after 2015, Andrew Knapp is kind of the breakthrough guy in the organization. I, I'm, I'm higher on Knapp, and that's partly because of position. I mean, it's like you, you look at Knapp and you say, 
you look at it and you go, catcher who can hit. And the reports that we're getting defensively is, is and we'll catch enough. The arm strength is definitely back. The receiving part, I think, was always a little rough in college. Right. He wasn't a full-time catcher, even at Cal. But he has enough athleticism to it move. Was, He's. I, I do think there's a chance that he catches. He's much more athletic than Hoskins, so he has a... He has a higher fortress from that standpoint. When we talked about, like, with the first, you know, again, you, you say, okay, there's more options with him. Yes, absolutely. He's doing it at a higher level, and the reality is, yeah, I'm, I'm higher on that. That's not that Hoskins doesn't have a chance. Hoskins is the guy I'm more skeptical on right now. I will say on Reese Hoskins' behalf, uh, I, I am totally in agreement with you on that. Reese Hoskins had a hell of a year this year. Amazing um, year. 17 homers, 36 doubles. Didn't strike out 100 times. I mean, he had eight homers in the FSL in half a season. Eight homers in the FSL puts That's you good. into like the, you know, wow. He was in the top ten in the league probably. Yeah. Um, the thing is, Reese Hoskins does have a track record of hitting. He hit in the Cape. and He, it, he, it, fits, it, he fits the story. We'll be talking about this in the podcast next week. He's, he, does, he, he does have the bad body um, profile. He's right, right, which doesn't help him. Um, I, think, I think of Reese Hoskins more as, uh, a Darren Ruff part two. If you're a Phillies fan, you want a quick comp. He's Darren Ruff like, but he has a better feel for hitting than Darren Ruff. Do, do remember this, you know? I, I don't think he's a, he's as athletic though. Right. Remember with Nap's year that he had this year. Remember what with Hoskins next year because Hoskins next year will probably end up in Reading at some point. Right. And you're right. And you go, his numbers will do well there because that's a good place to hit. Yeah, three twenty six with seven homers in the Cape back in two thousand thirteen. And you know what? Hoskins is difficult. He was difficult to evaluate as an amateur because the college bats were so bad in 2014. This is supposed to be a power guy, and he just didn't hit for power. But it's strength over bat speed. I would say he's a better hitter than Darren Ruff. I'm not sure he's as athletic as Darren Ruff. Just kind of saying something. So that's my reservation for him. First base. I and, want to throw. Yes, I agree with that too. And if, I mean, because again, Darren Ruff, you would think that he's limited to first base, but no. He's been able to at least you could put him out there and he will carry a glove in the outfield. That's right, but I do. But Reese Hoskins does have feel for hit. Real quick, by the way, that Jackie Bradley just wrapping that up. Uh, he's not even the only center fielder off that USA national team in 2010. Brad Miller, now a center fielder, was on that team. Another uh, big leader on that way, team. George Springer, I think, has played at least an inning out. There, yeah, George Springer, sort of. Uh, Mikey Matuk also playing some center field in the big leagues. One of my all-time disappointments, Nolan Fontana. I thought Nolan Fontana would be in the big leagues by now. And I did not. I was, a, did uh, not. I was an anti-Fontana. Well, I, I just thought he was David Eckstein with uh, more speed and a better arm. Um, but then the, the pitching staff on that college national team that summer, uh, the big leaguers include Sean Gilmartin. I'm working my way up from the bottom. Sean Gilmartin, Matt Barnes, Garrett Cole, Brian Johnson, Sonny Gray. I just remember showing up that summer – First game, I was doing play-by-play on the live stream at usabaseball.com, and Anthony Rendon broke his ankle in a rundown between first and second, and it was just a pretty much giant. Oh no! <laughs> you know, I don't. All I, the energy. I'm not a play-by-play guy, and I'm having to try to call Anthony Rendon, and then I'm realizing, oh my gosh, Anthony Rendon's really seriously hurt. He just went down in a heap. Um, but Sonny Gray and Garrett Cole. Sonny Gray, Garrett Cole was awesome all summer, uh, and Sonny Gray ran that team. I was an alpha dog personality, an alpha male personality that was just an evidence, and it was fun. It was a fun alpha male personality. And I saw why scouts always talked about Sonny Gray's makeup and how unique and special it was, and you've seen it in the Segway. big leagues. Segway here. Yes. So, last night, we'll go to the minors now. 
Last night I went to Winston Salem. There's, there's, this is a good segue. This is a good segue, and I happened to see a, a, a former Vanderbilt pitcher who's a little bit undersized and uh, face has faced some questions about that. Carson Fulmer's on the mound. Three innings for him because that's they're very much limiting his innings. He's right. Pitched, he's pitched for a long time this year. Not just when you talk about innings, but just time. Yeah, yes. since February. He's it's he's about due for a break. Although I do believe he's going to instructs and. I kind of thought, I guess the way to kind of say this is, is as we watched him pitch, if that was, uh, he may get another start, but if that's the last outing he has as a pro, official outing this year, that may be the last time in a game that you sell tickets that we see the delivery as exactly as we saw it there. This is true, actually. This is true. <laughs> you know, that I, I would expect that what's going to happen in Instructs, and you may have already talked to someone who's, you know, but I expect that they'll go there and they'll go, okay, what you've done? It's worked really well for you. Right. But in pro ball, we're going to need you to slow down a little bit. Right now, to describe the delivery, and you could probably do this better, but it's a very high tempo, very high energy, and it is a full body. He uses the full body. There's almost like a gather, and then he throws his lower half, and then the arm comes along with it. That's the thing is that you hit on it. There's a gather, but each – there's still – it's still a segmented delivery. Mm-hmm. There's definite, it's not smooth in any way, shape, or form, even though it's up-tempo. The first part he does is very distinct. It's done rapidly, but then it stops just for a split second. Then there's part two. Then there's part three. There's not. There's no segue from one part to the next of his delivery. Right. So there's really three different parts if you of want, it. If you go to the Baseball America Instagram right now, I, I put some video up last night just uh from him warming up, you know, and you can see it many other places, you know, many other places on our site where we've had videos before. But, right. you know, he, it is, it is a, if we want to get a visual of what we're talking about, it is a delivery, again, I, I think that you also expect that we're going to see some changes when we see Carson Fulman next year. I think so. And, you know, the White Sox uh, really believe in their pitching development. And they now, have a reason that they should. They, and, you know, Carlos Rodon's a great example of it this year. Now, they've done it at the big leagues with Carlos. He only had two starts in the minor leagues. He's over 150 innings now for the year, like 130 Carlos, plus in the minor leagues. Guys who flew through the minors. I mean, we saw Carlos at this time last year right. in Winston Salem, and that was, and they went to Charlotte, and it was, and then you he was done. I mean, and hey, I love, love, love Carson Fulmer, but let's be honest, he is not in Carlos Rodon's league. No. He's just not. And, and, and again, that's nothing knocking against him. But, not knocking him. Carlos but, Rodon is showing you right now. I mean, like, this is a big shock. Like, I was at a gush over Carlos at one point during his major league career. But he's showing you right now aptitude. He's going deeper into games. He's showing you the body, the durability. And he's getting stuck. better as the year goes and on. Stuck. And, oh, by the way, Chris, Ar- you want a slider? Go to high school in North Carolina. <laughs> I bring you Carlos Rodon and Chris Archer. These might be the two best sliders on the planet right now from the left and right side with North Carolina high school guys. Almost both Wake County guys. Um, very impressive to see Carlos getting better over the course of the season. Because that was really the last question for me is aptitude, J.J. And would he be receptive to coaching? He's a strong-willed young man. And he knows he if, if he had grown up in the Dominican, he'd be screaming soy already. Mm-hmm. You know? so, and he's been the guy. And he's and he's getting better. But he's, he's gotten better as the season's gone along. He's not worn down. Right. Not that surprising because he is a horse of a pitcher. So, so to me, it really just depends on what the kind of team the good guys have next year. They thought they were going to be contenders this year, and they clearly weren't. I, I would—they're not in the class of the Nationals in terms of disappointment. But I would, again, like I said earlier, 
to me, them, the Angels, and the and then the Indians you're, you're are the very disappointing. If you're the White Sox right now, you are looking at again. They've done a great job of pitching, but you are looking at Jeff Samarja this year, and you're going, "What happened here?" Because this is yeah, that's a tough one. Uh, that's a tough one. Although I mean, Jeff Samarja is probably saying the same thing. He's like, "This is not how I really wanted to go into free agency. This is yeah, not exactly. the way to do that." But, uh, it's but the, Fulmer last night, Carson Fulmer versus Dwayne Underwood, and if you were looking at it blind going into it. Dwayne Underwood does everything. He's got a better body. Right. You know, he does everything more conventionally. And stuff Who would you rather have? That's a good question. Who would you rather have? I mean, clearly the Cubs, I think, would rather have Dwayne Underwood because they need to develop starting pitching. And you and look at Dwayne you, Underwood and you say body-wise, tempo, delivery. And repertoire. And repertoire, which, by the way, has taken a step forward. Because right. when, he, when he was in the Midwest League, you could find guys who are like, I like the fastball. I don't like anything else. The thing that impressed me, the thing that concerns me with Dwayne Underwood is, is he's he just doesn't miss bats. Like you saw it last night. It's like a four or five walks, five, five strikeouts per nine, right? Right. He's, I think he struck out like five point nine this year per you know, but you know, missed some time and all that. But the thing about it is, is last night he would get two strikes and he would throw what looked like good breaking balls, what looked like good changeups, but they weren't strike three. They were very rarely strike three. He throws a fastball that he's shown already the ability to manipulate. Like, you saw it last night. There's a story up at BaseballAmerica.com right now. If you look at our MILB playoff roundup for the Wednesday night games, I think he's the picture, you know, the, the, the photo we used for it. But he, in the first inning, his fastball is catching too much of the plate. You watched him. He could get really good run when he went arm side. He could cut it, and he was deliberately cutting it to get in on left-handed hitters mm-hmm. after that. Because he didn't want to catch enough of, too much of the play, it was fastball, and he could not. Can he didn't have the command on it? That shows me something when he knows that, and he knows, okay, well, I can manipulate this a little bit so that I can still use my fastball. Right. Because if I'm just throwing with, you know, throwing it regular, I'm gonna, it's it's leaking back over the plate. So it's more than just velocity. It's a feel, real feel. It sounds like for using his fastball, for pitching off his fastball, which right. is a great. He didn't command it last night, but that, but those are all encouraging things. He gets ground balls some, you know, but and and all those things. If you said that, like, if you said who's a safer bet, I'll go with Carson Fulmer because it's hard for me to believe that Carson Fulmer, considering the track record we have with him, is not going to be a useful reliever. And that's a seven breaking ball, according to one of the scouts I talked to. I don't know if you guys saw it that good last night. It wasn't that good last night, you know, and it was one of those that I think, like, it is best. The, the, the question with Fulmer, and this is why we may see delivery, is, is it all comes back to command with him. Right, right. I mean, there is questions about his command mm-hmm. and how well he can, again, at a pro level, going every fifth day, how well does he command really what's, in, in essence, a, a you want it to be two-plus and a third usable pitch. I, I just feel like when you, when you watch him in every way and when you – read about him and you talk to people about him he just reminds me so much of houston street i made that comp in the spring it's houston street makeup um which is a big time compliment and it's houston street stuff kind of he throws harder than i would imagine that out of the bullpen in shorter bursts he would throw harder than houston and i think he would grade out he would grade out better i mean mean early houston early houston was around 94 you know park around 94 miles carson will do that in a game right as a starter as a starter so you would expect that yeah and he's doing it every five days, but you like to see, even in shorter bursts, shorter innings, but he's adjusted well, so you like to see that physicality and that man strength playing. And again, um, you got makeup, you like the makeup that he's going to be a guy who's, you know, uh, again, if you It's always going to be team before self for Carson Fulmer, mm-hmm. and that's, 
know, that's hard I know to that teach. I know that it was hard hard for him when they came out, you know, you're done after three. It's like, it was a playoff game, and I'm done after three. I'm going to guess that was not – but you know what? Again, his team before self right. and that, that kind of thing. So if the White Sox are good next year, if they if they have a good off season in their own minds and they come into spring training and they think they're going to be contenders, wouldn't shock me to see him be put in the bullpen immediately next year. Um, wouldn't shock me at all, actually. So, And that's no matter what happens in his last year. We thought we would, that might be the role for Carlos Rodon. Right, that's right. You know, we did absolutely. So he has handled starting better than I thought he had uh, that he would. JJ, we both need to get running here, but uh, real quick, let's go over our, our we have our minor league all star teams at BaseballAmerica.com. I was curious if you who was the biggest surprise to you on our minor league all star team. This is a team fairly replete. With big surprises, these were well, partly, all the guys who graduated the big league. Right. That's part of it. Partly, partly as we talked about, we Lindor, you know, Correa, Correa Brian Schwarber, Conforto. There were a whole Trey lot Turner. of Trey Turner. Well, Trey Turner made this team. He's he did. That's right. Yeah, but there were a whole lot of guys who no longer were eligible because they just didn't play enough in the minors. Right. Kyle Schwarber being the the glaring one on that. But the thing that really kind of jumped out at me on this team, I'll, I'll pick out a couple of outfielders who I was very impressed with the season. We, we were talking yesterday just in the office about Lewis Brinson. Yeah. Lewis Brinson slugged, some video. slugged over 600 this year. Yes, he spent time in a great hitter's environment, high desert, but he slugged 600. And there's, Lewis Brinson, when we talk about Andrew Benatendi, Lewis Brinson is much taller than Benatendi, but Lewis Brinson is not a guy who, I, I think a Byron Buxton-type build. Right. That's but with fair. more present pop. And what was it, 2011? Uh, they were Under Armour. Armour. Yeah. They were in the same. They were both in the 2012 draft, and Lewis Brinson was in the finals of the Under Armour and home run derby. Won it. And, oh, he won it. Brinson won it. Four but home he runs. Didn't, he didn't beat Buxton. Buxton was in that right. event, but in the finals, he beats uh, uh, David he, Thompson. Yeah, David. Went to the University of Miami. So uh, Brinson's always had, that's always been in there. The power's been there. He had 21 home runs his first full year at Hickory. He just struck out 170 more times than he homered. Right. We, we, we were going to look back at that Hickory team, and we wrote about it at the time. Yes, we did. It was a fascinating did. team. Because, Crawdad Crazy was the cover. Because it was fascinating about it was is you had this team, and it was just absolutely filled with massive, toolsy prospects who, at the time, their two-strike approach often consisted of, okay, so I've got two strikes down. So how much harder do I swing <laughs> So that if they do give me a fastball, I can hit it further. Just the, just the uh, the sample. The leader in strikeouts on that team that year was Brinson. Number two was Joey Gallo. Number three appears to have been Nomar Mazzara. Number four, now playing college football, Jordan Akins. Who, by um, the way, was the toolsiest of the players right. on that team. Jorge Alfaro, Nick Williams, also on that Ryan team. Ryan Rua was on that team. Ryan Rua now in the big leagues. Um, brief uh, appearance later that year by Ronald Guzman. Um, just a fascinating... Offensive way, team. When you talk about tools, Chris Garia on that team was like an 80 runner. I mean, they're just like, that's just stuff. And of course, they also had uh, CJ, now Carl Edwards Jr. Um, on that team as well before they, they traded him. Claudio. I mean, it was Jose Leclerc is still an interesting prospect. That was a very fun Keone team. Keone Kayla was on that team yeah. briefly. I mean, that was For a, a South Atlantic League team, that's a lot of big leaguers already. Just two years later, that's a lot of big leaguers. But what was interesting is this is the year that a few of those guys took steps forward. Nick Williams is no longer a uh, Ranger. Right. But Nick Williams took a step forward, and now he was traded, and he's a Philly. But Lewis Brinson's one guy that jumps out that way. The other one is, is Jordan Patterson making this team. double. Uh, again, the key thing is, is double A New Britain. He didn't make it for 
low class A Asheville. He didn't right. make it for high class A Modesto. He did it a very, very good season at a lesser hitter's park. You get to New Britain. If, if you're a Rocky, that's like, wait a second, that ball's not carrying like it is. That, yeah, sense, to me, that fence seems a lot further. To me, he's really uh, right in line. It makes a lot of sense. I think he's a Charlie Blackman clone in a lot of ways. Very similar player to the uh, current they, left fielder in Colorado. What they still have, what the Colorado does have that's interesting is, is a whole lot of outfielders who they have to sort through in the next couple of years. And corner bats in general, when you include Kevin Pavlo and Ryan McMahon, and Ryan by the McMahon. way, is our first team third baseman on here uh, for this. And Ryan McMahon just kind of keeps... Climbing up the ladder again, you know. That's going to be a tough one, JJ, because you talk about blocked. Yeah, he's blocked. I was just texting with a scout the other day who was like, I just don't think people understand how good Nolan Arenado is. And I don't think people understand, like, no one has come further to be better defensively than Nolan Arenado. I know we talk about it, but it is just amazing because Nolan Arenado was not an. There was a time when it was like, he may have to move off this position. Oh, I mean, our, our write up of him out of the draft was probably fits better at catcher. Yeah, he he and Christian Cologne were two guys that we were insisting out of high school in Southern South, uh, Southern California should move to catcher and um and no one one, but we were one for two. Yeah. And no one was like, No, I'm gonna get in better shape and I'm gonna be a stud. And he is again, when you talk about the, the great young third baseman now, he, he's the guy. But he's is there the anyone guy. else that jumps out to you that you you know that really Well two two guys stick out to me, Wilson Contreras had a boffo year for the Cubs. You know, it's not always that's, easy that's to find. I mean, he's the, a guy. He's an that's athlete. Why, that's why he's the first team. Is that he had the best year of any catcher in the minors this year? Right. I mean, just edging Andrew Knapp, who we were asked about earlier. Um, Knapp st- stuck out to me as well, but uh, I thought Contreras deserved to be the guy. And I just think Bobby Bradley's season overall. We've talked about our minor league player of the year finalists, which basically are AJ Reed and Blake Snell. And we'll announce that next week. Uh, actually, I'll even say it on the podcast. We're going to be on MLB Network to announce it on the rundown next week, uh, next Wednesday. So looking forward to that in the 3 o'clock hour Eastern time. Um, so so look forward to that. Um, but just I, I, we've talked about those two guys being the finalists on Twitter. Bobby Bradley might have been third for me. And that was a real late rush. He had a huge August, yeah, JJ. I, but, he did. He did. I, I'm going to go Lewis Brinson would have been ahead of that for me. See, a teenager doing what he did in the, in the South Atlanta and the uh, Midwest League, yeah. really just that, that's just more significant, I guess, to me than someone blowing up in, in, in high desert. You say that, but he, he didn't go, went to double A and did make it a triple A in Brinson's case. And one's a center fielder, and one that's is true. a all bat first baseman. This is true. Like, when we talk about player of the year, like, again, and I'm not knocking the season he had in any way, shape, or form, but if we're talking player of the year, I, I give me the center field. You're not giving Bobby Bradley credit for his 0 for 8 showing in Lynchburg late in the year? No, hey, I'm, I'm, I am hoping Winston-Salem wins their side and Lynchburg wins theirs, which Lynchburg is behind right now. Okay. But, but if Lynchburg wins theirs, then we could see Bobby Bradley next week in Winston-Salem. I mean, Bradley's season was a decent season, and then in August he hit 337, 432, 731 with 11 home runs. But that is, a, you know, to me, I, I follow you, Lewis Brinson, right there, but this is a more of a rare year. We've seen guys blow up in the Cal League uh, in, any, in any number of Cal League ballparks, and this is a very rare kind it of special season. The thing that really does concern me there, it's a great year. Oh, a lot of strikeouts. A lot of strikeouts. He hits 270 while doing it, which, that's again, it's a great year. I'm not knocking it in any way. I'm excited that we're Maybe he shouldn't be third. 
But I'm excited to see him. We'll get to see him next year in the Carolina League, you know, for more than eight at-bats. <laughs> right. But I, I do think, like, if you asked me, he would not have been my number three. Again, I probably would have gone Brinson. Um, there were, again, we, this, we, this started, we started by saying that this year it's like, ah, oh, you know, we don't have Schwarber and all this. And when it got all said and done, and I know we got to wrap up, but we'll talk about this in much more depth next week on the podcast. But I ended up really feeling good about the candidacies of Blake Snell and A.J. Reed. I like agree. Both of them, like, you know what? These years stand up. They may not be as good a prospect as we've had guys who've won right. in recent years. Chris Bryant last year checked every box. And there are no other boxes. The year before, and Mike Trout. Some of our right. recent winners. Where you say, okay, he's going to be a big league star for years and years and years, and we're very confident on that, and he had a season that no one can argue that he's not the best guy in the minors. Okay, check, 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 check. Here's the player of the year. And a year later... You're seeing him do exactly what we thought he'd do in the big leagues. A 130 OPS plus. Uh, what was he, third in our best tools voting at third base? I know he made a high-profile error the other day. But this guy is... And Chris, Chris Bryant... Defensive versatility, the fact that, again, Solaris hurt, okay, you can play right field. But yeah. if Chris Bryant winds up being the face of MLB in the next five years, but would it surprise you? No, it would not surprise you. It would surprise me only because he's no, he's no younger than Mike Trout and Bryce Harper, who... Have this already, is true. I mean, I'm just, again, we, I, I, you know, it is fun. It is so fun to me that we are now. Amir, in Amir Garrett, by the way, yet another Vegas pitcher. Considered himself part of the Vegas thing. Pitched very well the other day in the uh, in, in the, the, uh, for the Daytona Tartugas, which I love their nickname. That's one of the best new nicknames That's a good we one. have. That's a good you one. Know, I can't help but think Breaking Bad. You know? I just need a high school. I need a, ca- a catcher who played his prep ball in uh, in Las Vegas, Bryce not Harper's named Bryce Harper. Could, I was say, Bryce Harper could still. And be I'm just saying, there. USA Baseball. To take my word for it. Just take Nevada. We'll throw we'll throw uh, Chris Jimenez or someone else. Take Nev- Nevada. Sorry, they like the redneck pronunciation out there. Take Nevada, and just take that team to the WBC, and we're gonna win. We're gonna win this whole thing. A little Nevada pride. You know what? That actually might be fueling it because the thing about this is, I do think when we get to WBC two years away, Premier Twelve. Can't get here soon enough. Premier Twelve coming up not too far away. Although yes. there's Premier Twelve, like there keeps like like I saw that they, we saw the uh, the original uh, Korea roster, which has you know big leaguers on it, and they're like they have not been approved like by MLB to play in Premier Twelve, but WBC down the road. The thing that stands out is, is that that is a disadvantage. Are we the only ones talking about this yes, right now? <laughs> yes, absolutely. But the thing that is a disadvantage for the U.S. for that is that, yes, I'm not saying that these a lot of these players don't have pride in their country. They do. But no one goes around going, man, I've got to show that the U.S. plays good baseball. Everyone right. understands that. That's why Whereas if you localize when you it. Port, when you go to Puerto Rico, like when Jose De Leon on the podcast last week talking to him, and just rattling off how how much that Puerto Rican team is looking forward to right. the next WBC. The Dominican team, what was there so important for them? Those guys were playing in uh, games with a passion that was like the playoffs in playoffs? spring training. Right. That carries over. That's that's the kind of thing that it's nothing against the U.S. team. It is the U.S. team actually has much more success in that way. USA Baseball, when you talk about like the 18U team that just went and won for the third straight time right. their world, champion, world championship, at 18U you don't have that problem because it's a much more cohesive. It's not 
a group of guys getting together to play games, and they care. Right. But they're it's hard to get amped up at that same level. It's very hard, and and and, and I'll be. I've never those. seen it on the U.S. team. I'll, that, that's the way I'll put it. That's why I wanted. That's why I want the Vegas idea. I mean, oh, I, if you want to see Americans play for their country, but have a little extra incentive. Either just say, you know what, we're just going to take every. If you if you aren't from California, you can't play on this team. I think you see a little bit more. Or if, you, but if, I'm telling you, if you just did it for Vegas, and okay. you blinged them out Vegas will, style. Let, let, let's let's end this up. This is the way we'll wrap it up. So fire it I off. I want this to happen. So fire it off. Here is your Vegas. Well, WBC if you have to do Nevada, because no, so Nevada. If you go to Nevada, okay. I'll, I'll go I, there. I know that you have done this. Steven, Lu, Steve Larude is a catcher who went to high school baseball, and he played in, in Syracuse this year. So we're struggling behind the plate. Uh, I would say that you probably do find some sort of big leaguer who passed through Vegas or something. Well, there's also a high in the minor leagues with the Braves, Braden Schleyhuber. You're okay. having to go minor leaguers. Steve LaRude and Braden Schleyhuber are your highest level uh, I, I'm trying catchers. to imagine the broadcast where they say... And okay, well, Joey, Ga- Joey Gallo is probably going to play first base for this yeah. team because Chris Carter no longer makes contact with baseballs. <laughs> but the other one can play DH. Okay. Your middle infield... This depends on really the, the the year of who's hot. Jake Hager has been hurt all year. That's one of your shortstops. I forget who my second baseman even was. Drew Robinson, I think it was. Who's the guy? Jake I, Elmore here. Yeah. I, Chris Bryant's at Jake, third no, no, base. No, no, Jake Elmore better and you're not thinking he can play short because he's he's a little range limited. Oh no, he's playing second okay. base. No, Jake Hager's your shortstop. Yeah. Okay. Um, Elmore is your second base with Sean Casmore. These kind of guys. The, not, team, the team gets better when you okay, have Chris I'm, I'm Bryant, hoping. Bryce Harper. Ryan Ludwig, if he still lives, this is this, this year. Uh, Tommy Pham. This is just Las Vegas. It's no, small. It's small, JJ. I know. Tommy Pham's better than someone who's going to play out there for Puerto Rico. He's, for some no, of these guys, no, no, no. he is. I, I don't disagree. I, he's better than most guys are going to play for Brazil. And you're right. And like Aaron Blair, your, your pitchers are like Aaron Blair, Michael Blazek, uh, Chase and Shreve, Amir Garrett. I'm not saying it's the best team the America, the United States can offer. No, I'm just saying that Los Angeles has a team. You're, you're not selling me on this, but yes, I mean, you find me another area besides Los Angeles that can give you a team all by itself. That's all I'm saying. Right. Vegas can give you a team. When I throw in Vegas and Reno, because I have to throw in Reno, they yeah. can give you a team. That's a show. No, that's a show. That's, that's impressive. But we will wrap it up with this. We're going to excise that part of the podcast. <laughs> no, we're going to leave let's it be, on. Let's be totally is, honest. No, no, no. We, we, we actually talked before the podcast started that we could maybe uh, talk about coaling stations in the 1800s and the spread of imperialism, but we'll leave that for our uh, our well, separate podcast that John, the John and JJ, no one is interested in. But we definitely have gone on long, so you're going to see me on MLB Network with longer hair today, um, not on the Minor League Player of the Year Award. I do want to remind people that it will be next Wednesday in the 3 o'clock hour we will do the Minor League Player of the Year Announcement during the rundown on MLB Network. And then at BaseballAmerica.com. Right. Uh, and then also, uh, not from Vegas, but Jordan Luplo, a Visalia, California prep product who went to Fresno State, is the last part of our podcast. He talked with our Teddy Cahill. And as you listen to that podcast, JJ and I sign off. We'll listen to you on the next BA podcast. Here's Teddy Cahill with Jordan Luplo. Today, I'm joined by Jordan Luplo, a third baseman in the Pirate System. Jordan, thanks for joining me today. We're happy to, to have you on to, to talk about your first full professional season. So, uh, you know, first, uh, how do you feel like, uh, like the season went for you overall? You know, uh, it went really well. We're in, uh, we're in the playoffs right now. And, you know, uh, we're going to get a practice in tonight and go and face Hickory tomorrow in West Virginia. Now you ended the the regular season on the disabled list. How are you feeling now? 
Um, I'm still on the disabled list. Um, we're uh, rehabbing right now to see if I can get back for playoffs, but um, we're just taking it day by day right now. I mean, you, you've had some uh, some injury in the past. You, you had uh, shoulder surgery back in high school, some minor injuries uh, you know, in college. When you aren't able to be out there on the field, um, what do you find the most important thing for you to do is to, to stay engaged and to stay active? Um, I mean, play, play the game at a, at a 100% level. If you, I feel like if you're playing the game less than that, then – you know, you're going to give yourself a, a better chance to get hurt. And, uh, you know, I'd rather, I'd rather make mistakes going 100% than make mistakes going 50 or 70%. When you are sidelined, do you, do you find you that you, um, you pick up things in the game that, that maybe you don't notice when, you're, uh, when you are on the field? Oh, yeah. Um, you know, it's just you got to take it as a, as a learning moment and you get to watch the game unfold in front of you and, See the see every little bits and pieces of the game, and uh, you know our, our manager Brian Esposito does a great job of uh, you know if I got questions on anything, breaking it down for me and telling me, giving me reasons why this, why that, and uh, you know he's really helped me learn a lot this year. So you mentioned uh, you know the team going to the playoffs. You guys won the the second half division title. Um, you know what's been the key to uh, to the team's success here, especially of late. You're, you're pretty hot now, still going into the playoffs. Yeah, you know it's just a bunch of good guys, good team chemistry, and we all mesh well together. And I think that's what that's what's making us a very dangerous team, rolling into playoffs. You were a big part of that, you know, before your injury. Um, you scuffled a little bit in the first half, I guess, uh, but in the second half, then you were able to. To hit, uh, I guess, what two ninety four nine home runs, and and you walked more than you struck out there. Uh, what what was the key to turning your season around? You know, I got together with uh, the coaches Brian Esposito and Keone, the hitting coach, um, and we just we just had to say, you know, relax and the second half of the season, you know, and make some adjustments at the plate and uh, defensively. And I think that helped me a lot. Were those more mechanical adjustments or, or approach adjustments or, or mental or what what was the what were the kind of adjustments you were looking to make? You know, it was just keeping the game simple. It was uh, I, w- I was sort of overthinking the game and trying to do too much, and uh, I, I really just had to boil it down to simplifying the game and not making it bigger than it is. Because at the end of the day, it's just a cute game. In your first. You know, pro season, it, I mean, you you were able to play. You know, last summer after the draft, but you know, the first full grind of the year. You know, is that is that tougher on you? Do you think that that you know, when, when you look at you know better players as you move up the ladder, to that that you have to you have to find a way to to keep the mental mental side of your game strong as, as well as the physical side. Um. You know, it's definitely different than, than college or, or short season. You know, you're going to play 140-plus games, and uh, there's going to be some ups and downs, and it's just how you come back from those those downs and stay even-keeled when you're at those highs is when uh, is what you got to do. And I've learned a lot this first full season. You know, I've had my share of ups and downs this, this season, 
going from first half to second half and uh and uh, also moving to third base was a, a big transition for me, you know, from the outfield. Yeah, I mean that that's a big transition. Uh how did you how did you attack uh the, the change in positions? Um you know, our uh, our infield coordinator coordinator, uh Gary Green, he uh, helped helped me a lot with uh you know, just staying just trying to stay athletic at the end of the day, you know. It's just catch the ball, throw the ball, and trying to keep it simple. And you know, he, they, Pirates know that this is good. this is my first year. You know, there's going to be some ups and downs, and I was expecting that. And uh, I've had them. And you just got to learn from every moment. You know, and just keep working every day. And before the game, really work and taking ground balls and take pride in your uh, preparation. You were a right fielder in college. Uh, when was the last time you really uh, played the infield on a on a regular basis, if there was one? Uh, high school. High school was the last time that I was at third base, and then in college I moved to outfield. So moving to the infield means you have to deal with a lot of different situations, different kind of plays. What, what do you feel like has been the biggest um, you know biggest difference in, in the two positions? Um. It's a lot faster in the infield, and uh, you know you're a little closer to that ball, so it's going to get get on you a little quicker. And also, uh, you know, there's the ground balls and stuff like that. You know, you didn't have to worry about that in the outfield. And uh, every throw, every throw you make is important. You're trying to get someone out on every throw, unlike the outfield. And so, it just, it just it wears a lot on your mind and, and your body. And it's just for me this year was finding out how to take that every day and you know keep mentally sharp and, and physically sharp is that something where you have to take extra ground balls every day uh is that something that or did you do a lot of extra work in spring training you know how um how did you go about trying to trying to get through some of these mistake uh that, that you would make as you learn the new position um you know you just we would we would sit down with the the manager or Gary Green, Green if he came in uh, into West Virginia, and we would just we would just talk about plays that are going to happen. And they say, you know, some of the plays you you can take as many ground balls as you want as you want, but some of them aren't going to happen like they are in the game. And so you got to just experience them, and that's that's what the season was about, just experience experiencing those plays and uh, learning from them. Is there anyone that, that you uh, you know kind of watch video on or that, that you try to emulate um, there, that you you know any any third baseman that, that you look at and say you know I want to play the game uh, play the game like they do? Um, no, David Wright was a big big idol of mine growing up. I had one of his uh, fat heads on my wall when I was younger, and so uh, that was kind of one of the guys I looked up to and still do. I mean, I, I guess he's a he's a pretty good one, uh, you know. It, is there, um, you know, when, when when you think about David Wright, I mean, at least when I do, it, it you know, it's the play when he comes in on the ball and then makes makes the throw to first base. You know, is that kind of uh, what stands out to you, or or what stands out about his game? Uh, just the way he goes about his business. You know, he's a, he's a true professional, and uh, you don't you don't see him take plays off, and you don't see him get down when he's on the low. You know, he's he's just even kill a guy, and he plays the plays the game the right way. You know, you've been through you know the full 140 games now, um, still playoffs left. But 
what did you what do you feel like you've learned um, in your first full pro season? Um, there's a, there's a you know I've learned that uh, that you need to keep your body healthy and you need to eat right and get in the gym and keep your body able to go out there for 142 games. Is uh, you know is that going to maybe change uh, the way you attack this off season? Uh, you know what what are your plans for the the off season now? Yeah, you know I'm um, I'm headed to Instructs here in a, after the playoffs, and we're going to get together with the strength and conditioning staff, and they're going to they're going to give me a whole new regimen of uh, how to prep for third base because all of last season I was I was prepping for the outfield, and in spring training I came and they, they threw me into third base so. Uh, this offseason, I think, will help me a lot in uh, being able to prepare differently for third base rather than outfield. Is it is it just a matter of um, you know strengthening different parts of your body? Do you think, or, or you know, what what other things do you need to to do in the the offseason to to play the infield? Um, you know, I feel like flexibility is a bigger is much more important when you're in the infield because you're doing. 130, 145 squats every every pitch that goes down, you know, getting ready for the ball in the infield. And so I think lower half flexibility and, you know, being able to be uh, quicker to feet is a big, big stride I'm going to have to take this offseason. When you move from the outfield to the infield, uh, I guess you have to get a different glove too. You know, was it different just uh, for you to, to have a smaller glove on your hand? Um. You know, it wasn't it wasn't the smallest. It was just I didn't know what to get. I, I, I hadn't played it in a few years, and so I had to ask around all the infielders. You know, what what kind of glove should I get, or what size and what web and stuff like that. So that was that was about it. Did it take you a little bit to to find one you liked? Um, no, I, I I got the first one. I had, I got the first one, uh, and I liked it ever since. And you know, I've been using it all season. When you look at the the Pirates organization as a whole. Uh, you know they've had a lot of success. The big league team. It looks like they're on the way to the playoffs again this year. Um, you know several minor league teams, not just you guys, are in the playoffs. What's it like being a part of that organization and and seeing success up and down the ladder? It just it just goes to show you that the Pirates are doing something right, and uh, it's paying off. You know they made uh, they made some adjustments, and and recently we have. I think it's four minor league teams and possibly a big league team going to the playoffs right now. And I think that's a testament to the front office of the Pirates doing the right things. When you were coming out of Fresno State a year ago and you found out the Pirates were, were the one that picked you, what, what were your thoughts about the organization at that time? Um, I hadn't really known much about them because I'm on the West Coast and you know I just I mainly get Giants and Angels and Dodgers games. And so I didn't see too much of him, but uh, I knew a guy, a reliever in their bullpen, Justin Wilson, and he recently moved to the Yankees. But uh, so I gave he gave me a call after after the draft. You know, he was telling me, uh, you know, congratulations and what to expect, and you know, I was really excited. Growing up uh, in Fresno, were were you uh, mostly a Giants fan, or, or what? What kind of baseball did you watch while you were growing up? Oh, I did go to a lot of Giants games, but. Uh, 
you know, my, my dad's from Michigan, so we grew up watching a lot of Detroit games as well. And then you, you stay close to home. You go to Fresno State, um, you know, and that's a, obviously a very, very strong baseball program. What, what was the experience like playing for, for Fresno State? Um, it, it, was, it was a good experience for me, you know, because I got to start from my freshman year until uh, I left there. And it gave me an opportunity to grow. And uh, Coach Batesel over there did a great job with pushing me to, to be better. And I think uh, I think he's done that with a lot of guys. You know, you look at you look at Justin Wilson, Aaron Judge is coming up through the through the through the ranks, and uh, Austin Wins, Gene Escat, a bunch of other guys that are coming up, and you know, he's uh, he's making them made them a lot of great baseball players. Yeah, you mentioned guys like that, and then in the big leagues, you've got someone like Doug Fister. And you know, what is having players like that that, that you can look to that, that went through similar experiences? You know, what, what does that do for guys at Fresno State to to be able to look to those examples for what they what they can be? You know, I think it's it's just it just goes to show that they're doing something right at Fresno State, and uh, you know, when we have the alumni dinners and alumni games and golf tournaments and stuff like that. You know, you get to talk to them and you get to hear their their experiences. And uh, last year, me as a young guy, you know, I got to I got to ask, you know, what's what's pro ball like? What's it what's it going to be like moving up the levels and stuff like that? And so it was it was cool to being able to talk to former Bulldogs about it. You were the Mountain West Player of the Year last year. Um, you know, what what kind of was it was that something that kind of year that you had your junior season was was that something that you felt like you'd been building to or you know what, what was the what was the key for that year? Um, honestly, it, it started in the Cape Cod. I was lucky enough to go there and play for Orleans Firebirds under Kelly Nicholson, and the probably one of the best hitting coaches I've ever hit with, Benny Craig. Um, he, he just showed me showed me a different way to way to hit and his philosophy matched up with with my thinking and it just it just clicked and ever since then you know it just took off when you talk about hitting philosophies you know what what kind of approach do you take to the play do you do you try and be more disciplined or are you aggressive up there you know what kind of uh, a mini scouting report of yourself um you know I'm, I, I feel like i'm not a, a guy that's going to hit a ton of home runs I'll run into one here and there, but you know, mainly stay gap to gap and stay within myself. And I don't think there's a, I don't, I don't think I need to get outside of, of being me. And I think I'll just stay with the gap to gap approach. When uh, when you look at, at the rest of your your West Virginia teammates, I mean, there there are several uh, several big names there. Uh, you know, obviously. Cole Tucker was there before he got injured, you know, the, the first rounder. Uh, but who stood out to you th- this year uh, among your teammates? You know, Cole was a great teammate and a great baseball player. And, you know, there's a lot more that we have here. But, um, you know, all the, I, can't, I can't pick one because they're all, they're all great guys. They all, they're all good baseball players, and we all mesh really well. And we have great chemistry. What about uh, opponents? Who was the toughest pitcher you faced this year? Um, 
you know, I, I don't think there was anything that I haven't seen before. But, uh, you know, Greensboro had a good staff. And Hickory, the team we're about to play, has, has some uh, some decent players. And, uh, you know, that's about it. Okay. Now, uh, obviously, still have some, some, some of this season left, but when you look to uh, – to the next season now, uh, I, I know you probably haven't even thought about that, but you know when, when you when you think about moving up the ladder, um, you know what what do you still feel like you have to work on as you advance next year to, to Bradenton and then in the future? Um, I think all aspects of my game need to need to improve, and I, I feel like every player thinks that or that should moving up the ladder. You know they want to be the best player they can be, and you know, defense, defensive and offensively, I need to improve, and that's what I'm going to work on this offseason. Now, playoffs start tomorrow. What's uh, what's the mindset of the team going into that series against Hickory? You know, we're we're uh, pretty relaxed for playoffs coming up. It's um, it's a good feeling, good vibes in the clubhouse right now, and uh, we're really excited to get to get to play in the playoffs tomorrow. Has it been that way all season? Has it, you know, just been that kind of vibe, that that re- relaxed vibe that's helped you guys? I think it has. You know, um, we all trust in our abilities, and we all trust in each other, and I think that keeps us that good chemistry uh, on the field, and that's allowed us to win some games. All right. Well, I really want to thank you for your time, Jordan. It's been great. And uh, good luck to you and, and the rest of the West Virginia Power as you go forward into the playoffs now. All right. Thank you. Thanks for having me. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.